Hi, it's Helen Hebert. I'm here at Cave Paper in Minneapolis, Minnesota with Bridget O'Malley and um, delighted to be here, Bridget. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So um, tell me how you got interested in paper. Where did it begin? Well, it started right at the end of my college years. A friend of mine was uh, making some paper from dryer lint and she came into school and she was so excited because she made paper that was pink and blue and white and at the time I was doing a lot of printmaking and collage and I just thought man that would be so awesome to be able to make your own paper that was whatever color shape texture that you wanted um and, and where I wasn't, were you in college uh I went to the college of St. Catharines which is over in St. Paul okay. Minnesota and um and I was an art major and mm -hmm. so you know, she then she brought this paper in, and of course it was horrible. Yeah, I mean, it had like hair and all kinds of little plasticky things. And did you think it was horrible? I did. Yeah, I was like, I like her conversation of it was so exciting to me, and mm -hmm. then the reality of it was so much of a letdown. Uh -huh. But I also had seen some beautiful papers. Uh, there's a art store over in St. Paul is still there, wet paint, mm -hmm. and. Um, and so we had bought papers there for right. school, of course, and and I just was wondering what was the difference right. between what was there <laughs> and what was being made, and how could I bridge that gap somehow? So uh -huh. and it just kind of put something in the back of my head, right? Yeah. And so then. So then, it was a it was a little while later that um, the Minnesota Center for Book Arts kind of opened up at about the same time. So okay. that was in the mid-'80s, uh -huh. and I had graduated from school and was just finding my way. I was doing waitressing gigs and odd jobs just to get by and thinking that I wanted eventually to go to grad school, but I knew that my portfolio wasn't quite strong enough and there were things I wanted to, to do better. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to take a couple years to just be an artist and make more art. And so, so during that time, I interned at the Minnesota Center for Book Arts, which is where I met Amanda. Okay. And she was their first artist in residence. And so right. I just kind of showed up one day and I was like, hey, would you mind if I just hung out here and learned about paper and helped? I'll do whatever you need. Uh -huh. Grab some buckets or uh -huh. whatever. And so, you know, and now we've been friends for over 30 years. So. <laughs> right. Okay, so you... you you did that, and then did that lead to graduate school? It did, uh -huh. right. And so that's how I, I ended up at the University of Iowa, working with Tim Barrett at the Center for the Book. And while I was there, at the time, they, they didn't yet have a, a MFA in book arts or paper okay. specifically. Okay. So you had to kind of slide in through another department. Some people were going through the library school, others through the journalism, which is where the letterpress was and I chose to go through the art school and go through printmaking so okay. so I ended up getting my MFA in printmaking and then kind of doing a minor in paper although you really couldn't do that but everyone kind of turned a blind eye to, uh -huh. to that and they kind of you know they had enough people that were starting to do that or have those kinds of just administrative needs that like you know Tim Barrett and the other people who were kind of in charge of the center for the book were helpful in getting some of that paperwork mm -hmm. signed off on, mm -hmm. which was very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, well, so tell me, like, how your work developed there. And I think 
maybe you developed some papers there that you guys still make here? Or I did, yeah. Well, the last year or two that I was at Iowa, that was one thing that Tim really encouraged was for me to start developing my own line of papers that was something that uh, we could produce while or develop and produce while it, while I was there but then once I left I could take with me mm-hmm. and um and then for a little while they continued to make some of the papers and then after a little a year or two then the person who who came in after me wasn't interested in in those papers and so uh so she was allowed to kind of develop her own stuff mm-hmm. and so that's really a great gift mm-hmm. and uh so that was the walnut papers I really had done some experiments with those and a little bit with indigo although I, I probably learned more about indigo once the cave was kind of up and running mm-hmm. and um and so so while I went there kind of intending to kind of make paper for printmaking I really got so sidetracked with paper and just all of its complexity and uh and the possibilities of it that that I still do printmaking but uh the paper really has has gone to the forefront Right. Yeah. And uh, so you, so what was the transition after graduate school then? Did you come back to Minneapolis? Well, or? I was really fortunate in that um, at the time there was an apprenticeship program at the university that was a full-time apprenticeship. And so um, so I was able to do, so, I, so I, for a little while I was doing both, working on my MFA and, and doing the apprenticeship. But then... Once my, well, I think I got my degree in like 91 or 92, but then I stayed on till like 94, okay. the middle of 1994, and I worked full time for Tim doing production paper making. Okay. And so, um, so when we figured it all out in the end, I had done the equivalent of like five full time years of, mm-hmm. of work as an apprentice, and, and it was a great training ground because it sure. was like at first really working side by side with Tim in all aspects of the production and then as I got better at different steps and he kind of let me take the front take the lead like do all the prep work of the fiber or mm-hmm. figure out how to you know make do the production work with the clients and and like in the Japanese paper making you know the first year or so I was just doing a lot of the fiber prep which you know is all right uh-huh. but <laughs> You know, it's so much more exciting as a paper maker, as you know. Like, once you go to all this trouble of making all this fiber, and then you get to make it in paper. Right. But if somebody else gets to make the paper out of it, then you're like, okay, and now I'm picking more fiber. Yeah. And so, um, you know, but so he kind of, you know, transitioned me into being the full-time person. So the last year of my apprenticeship, like, I was the main sheet former for the Japanese season. So that was really amazing. Yeah. You know, and he was at that time really busy doing a lot of administrative things. He was doing like a video series and there was a lot of transition going on at the center for the book. And right. so um so he was maybe in the office less and less, but he also felt like he could be gone more. Right. So right. so that was good. And then I had uh the last year that I was there, I was working with Jana Pullman who who did an apprenticeship after me. And I think hers hers was a shorter apprenticeship than mine, but it was still a full-time one. Mm-hmm. And so um, we had an overlap year so that I could train her on everything that I knew how to do mm-hmm. and kind of do that same sort of thing, mm-hmm. kind of transition her into taking over, mm-hmm. which was great. Right. Was that uh, 
so was it any was there anything formal about the apprenticeship in terms of that you got i mean cuz that's not something in in the paper <laughs> world right that there's any cert unless you get a degree I, right it's I mean, not I, like I, a trade i did get trade. a certificate upon completion of my apprenticeship and uh-huh. um and then after a few years after that then the center for the book did ha- have what they would call a certificate program before they officially had like an MFA program. Okay. And so there was kind of a phase of that. And so, you know, so on paper I look legit, you know. Hey, so. you're legit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's keep going then. How? So, um. Once you left. So once, the, yeah, so, so once that was over, um, and I knew that, that what, you know, it was a specific time frame that the grant ran for. So uh-huh. I knew when I needed to leave. Um, and even, like, the year before, I had come to work at Dudenay that summer. Right. And uh, with the thought, oh, well, maybe that would be something that I would mm-hmm. phase into. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, so I looked around a little bit at different opportunities of, of paper jobs. And, you know, there aren't a whole lot of them that pay no. any actual money. So, <laughs> right. so then I was like, hmm. And Amanda had this big beater that she had been setting up, and we, of course, had remained friends the whole time I was down in Iowa. Um, And she was like, hey, I've got this big beater. You know, if you don't find any other jobs, maybe we could set up a business together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because we had worked really well together before, and we had set up, like, a fledgling book-making little crafty thing Mm -hmm. while I was in town before. And I was like, yeah, sure, what the heck, you know? Like, I mean, I don't really know much about setting up a business, nor do you, but let's... Shucks, let's do it, you know. And so so it was great to be able to uh, do our own thing, like design what we wanted. We weren't making paper for other uh, other designers specifically. You know, we had a kind of a freedom for the first year or two to kind of figure out how the beer worked and what direction we wanted to go. And uh, Amanda had done a lot more work with individual clients doing custom projects. Mm-hmm. And I had done a lot of work doing inventory and sheets of paper and trying to keep consistent batches mm-hmm, of paper mm-hmm. from from one to the next year to year and so so by kind of combining both of those approaches it um really seemed to to make a a business model that would work right right so tell me a little bit about the business then like you have how many papers that you produce and uh, reproduce yeah. we have at this point, I think we have about 25 that we keep in inventory uh-huh. on a regular basis, and we do them in two different sizes and then a, a bunch of different weights. Mm-hmm. And so keeping them in stock is, is kind of a big task. Uh, sure. Very often, you know, we don't have everything someone wants. You know, it's like, oh, we have a lot of granite, but we don't have any heavyweight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Darn it. So, you know, so it kind of changes the efficiency of the idea. The idea was that you would always have inventory and you could just whip it off the shelves, send it right out and mm-hmm. then it would be uh, great. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a slower process. Right. And so, and that's okay. A lot of our, our customers really appreciate that and know that about us. And so they're kind of expecting, you know, they, they plan that into their project, shall we say. And um, So and, what's a, I mean, I know you ship some orders right away, but what would a wait time average wait time I would be. say like I would say three to four weeks uh-huh. you know because if you're starting if you don't have the paper or even even any base sheets because we do a lot of just the natural flax and then we'll dye them right a variety of different colors 
So if you're starting from pulp to paper, it's like you got to make the pulp and then you got to make the paper. That takes, you know, a couple days, three days or so to dry. Mm -hmm. And then some of them have five different layers of dye on them. Mm -hmm. And each one has to dry in between. So that's a day. And then you have to gelatin size them. And then you have to flatten them. And then you have to factor in, oh, maybe I'm going to be gone for teaching for a day here or there. And and then suddenly you're at three weeks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I can see how that adds up. Yep. Right. Uh, and where do you sell? I know you attend yeah. different shows and just talk we a little do. bit about the yeah, we've, marketing we've, side. Well, yeah, we, we're pretty bad, I would say, at marketing in the conventional sense of marketing. But uh-huh. uh, our product is such a niche market that, that I don't know that that method would work anyway. And so we've really relied on word of mouth and going to like Guild of Bookworker, uh, calligraphy shows, Codex Conference, and kind of just really being in touch with the people who are going to be using the paper mm-hmm. and seeing what they're doing and asking them and talking to them and finding out what works, what doesn't, how can we make it better, how can we work with them to get something that's really unique for their paper projects. And and uh, and that's kind of fun. We do have about a half a dozen or more stores around the country that we wholesale mm-hmm. stuff to. And so people who take classes, like I say, at the Center for Book Arts in New York or whatever, they can go to Talos and get paper right in town and instead of having to come to us. Although we do also sell through our website. So people can get access to our paper pretty much anywhere. Um, and the web's been a new, I would say, in the last three to four years, uh, has really grown for us as mm-hmm. a as a sales point. Because mm-hmm. before that, uh, we didn't have a way for people to purchase online. We had a website, but then we felt like we wanted them to call us and have a chat, you know, because if they're right. ordering 100 sheets, we want to make sure everything that they want is exactly how we make it. Right. Um, but that kind of cut out a lot of the small guys who really only want five sheets or... Mm-hmm. You know, they're mm-hmm. trolling on the internet at three in the morning and they just happen to want some sheets of paper. I want to take their money from them, please. Let me, yeah. I'll take it. And yeah. so, uh, so it was kind of a surprise how mm-hmm. many smaller orders we, we got through the website that people we had never heard of. Some are people we know, but a lot of people we hadn't heard of. And, and, uh, and so there's a lot of back and forth conversations sometimes if, if we don't have what they want or if if there's just some, some unclarity about what they might want. And uh, so you always start to chat with them, like, well, where did you hear about us or how do you know about mm-hmm. Cave Paper? Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is, uh, like, they've seen it at workshops that they've taken, and, and that's really great. kind of spreads the word or, you know, right. seen our papers elsewhere or just they just heard about Cave Paper and just went online and looked us up and, you know, buy a few sheets, see what happens, so. Yeah. Yeah. So we're sitting in your I don't know what you call it, showroom. Showroom, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a big and I word. I <laughs> see some other like marbled papers yeah. and some imported papers and Mhm. So you must have some traffic that comes through here. We do. Or is that the purpose of that or do you the take idea, that? Yeah, it's place? both. It's it was a uh to have a nice place to meet with clients, mm-hmm. but then it was also, well, if people want to just stop in off the street, sure, mm-hmm. why not? You know, there's uh, there used to be an art supply store right downtown, which moved about a year or two ago okay. uh, to one of the suburbs because they just couldn't afford the rent down here any longer. And uh-huh. so uh, 
you know, so they're like, well, maybe if somebody wants to buy a sheet or two, that would be all right. You know, some people come. Uh, so the marbling we have is uh, from Steve Pittlecow. He mm-hmm. uh, he gets around doing a lot of workshops and used to live in the Twin Cities, now is transplanted to Florida. Right. And um, they're such bright, vivid, beautiful colors that we just felt like we wanted to have them, even though they, they don't necessarily go with some of our papers. They're, they're so bright. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we figured as a secondary marketing thing that would work. And then um, there was a store for these other silkscreen printed ones. There was a store that was, um, it was called the Paper Depot that was near here. And they used to sell a lot of, do like DIY wedding invitation papers mm-hmm, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And they went out of business. And so, uh, so we bought up the end of their inventory. Okay. okay. And, um, and so started thinking, well, maybe we would carry some of those. That might be, you know, these sheets are only five bucks a pop versus our handmade right. papers are 25 bucks. So, you know, uh-huh. uh, but really we haven't sold very many of those. So probably once they're gone, they'll, they'll disappear. Phase they'll <laughs> phase out. We'll keep the marbling because people really love that. Yeah. And, yeah. and we love it too. And it's yeah. nice that it's handmade and it's a friend right. of ours that makes it. So right. keeps it in the family in that way. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me about a custom project that you did for paper, a paper order? Sure. Uh, yeah. I know you've done more than one, but one, pick one. Yeah. I, well, we've done a lot. I did a custom watermark for, uh, two friends for their, uh, for their condo. So they have one of those kind of half moon shaped windows that was pretty big. It was like, I think like six and a half feet wide by about four feet tall and and it was like on the second like they had a living room that was like you know not just one story it was kind of a high ceiling oh, right. room mm-hmm. and so then it had a little round window at the top which is kind of the sun I guess comes in there at mm-hmm. a certain point in the day and um and it's kind of an awkward space to try and like put a curtain on or some right. other like how do you deal with something like that and so so they saw some watermarks that I had done that were in a show and they approached me during the show and asked if I would consider doing a custom designed watermark for their window and I was like sure yeah. I, I've never really thought about that but uh, sure and so so the woman is a, a designer Nora McGillivray and she uh, had some sketches of birds that she really wanted to include in there and her husband is a poet and he he works a lot with bird imagery in his poems, and so they so really wanted birds to be part of the the piece, and so um, so I worked that up and and had to factor in all the little wooden parts that are mullions. kind of the joints. I think and, mullions is that what they're called? Yeah, yeah. and uh, and then you know get there and try and you know I was like okay let's see how we're gonna install this, and so I installed it with magnets. Uh-huh. So that it could be easily reversible, or if they moved, they could take it with them, and um, and it was it worked great. It was like a metal uh, window frame, oh, and nice. so the magnets just really I just wrapped them in some handmade paper and yeah. just like you know. Yeah, and that I saw a picture of that on your web website, which you can get to through the Cave Paper website, mm-hmm. the Bridget mm-hmm. O'Malley link. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. Uh, and what are you working on now? either cave or your own work? Yeah, uh... Uh, for my own work, I, well, I just taught a printmaking class a few weeks ago, 
and started a bunch of woodcuts mm. as part of that class. And uh, so uh, this week I was supposed to be teaching a class, which has gotten canceled for lack of enrollment, so I've just decided to use it as a week to finish up projects because I'm great at starting new projects uh -huh. but terrible at finishing projects. And so, uh, so that's my goal this week is to kind of finish off some things that have gotten started and that they're just small, probably, you know, like 8 by 10 or, you know, 11 by 15 size woodcuts. Uh -huh. They're not anything extraordinary. Um, but I did just finish some pieces. Um, I'm collaborating with uh, Amy Sands, who's a printmaker in town, mm -hmm. and there's a show at the Morgan in Cleveland in August. It's a collaboration show. And so oh, they're, okay. they've invited 12 paper makers, and each of us was asked to invite an artist to collaborate with. Oh, cool. And so we are kind of at the end phase of our collaborations of, mm. of doing some uh, essentially monoprints and laser cuts on some handmade paper. They're uh -huh. kind of amazingly beautiful. I'm like, wow, like, wait, we made that? <laughs> Yay, that's cool. awesome. All right. Yeah. All right. Okay, well, thanks, Bridget. You're welcome. Great to chat with you. Yeah. And uh, see you later. All right.